0: Christmas is right around the corner, and I'm John Fuller. Today, we're concluding the second season of the Christmas Stories podcast from Focus on the Family, and we're here to enjoy this special holiday with you. We're going to be discussing what adds meaning to this time of year. Joining me today are two voices you've heard throughout the season, uh, Diane Angolia and Paul Batura, both co-workers here at Focus on the Family, I wonder, can you believe Christmas is already here?
1: I can because there was a lot of preparation moving up towards it. And um, as I mentioned before, I have my Advent calendar that has helped to keep me on track for this. But we've got lots of fun things planned for Christmas besides having uh, the kids and the grandkids over for Christmas brunch. Because as I mentioned in the last episode, we have to share the holidays. So we're doing that. And then after that, we have a whole other set of relatives that hold Christmas off to the 26th. So we celebrate on the 25th and on the
2: 26th. Ooh, a double blessing. It's a
1: double blessing.
2: <laughs> How about you, Paul? Yeah, you know, meals are a big part of our Christmas tradition as well. And, and I'm thinking about Christmas Eve. We always gather as a family, as many people as we can. And uh, we do the Chinese food on Christmas Eve. And, and then really the, one of my favorite parts is the family pageant that we do. And it's really not so much a pageant as it is a talent show. <laughs> and this that. goes way back when yeah. I was a kid. My parents forced all of us to perform a song or a play or something, a reading. It forced you. They did. And, uh, <laughs> and so you're passing that on. I was always on. very you're nervous about your kids? it. We had, this, uh, we had a stairway in our living room that had a little landing on it, and that was the stage. And I have tapes of it. It's fun to listen to. And we've done that with our own kids, and it's become a very special time, especially now as the kids grow older. And uh, you know, my father, who w- lived with us, is gone. He was part of it. Now he no longer is. So there's a lot of poignancy to it, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, we have some really embarrassing footage of you, Paul, and we're going to be <laughs> posting that online. No, we're I not. I can hardly wait. <laughs> you know, as you mentioned, it's food. only audio. It's only as, audio. As you <laughs> mentioned food, I was thinking about one of our more memorable Christmas Eves. We drive around looking at Christmas lights, and we had a van full of kids who were all getting hungry. There aren't lots of places open after dark on Christmas Eve, right? And we're driving around, driving around. We finally found a KFC that was open. Let's just say it wasn't the best meal I've ever had, but it was pretty wonderful to have those kids eating fried chicken in the van while we finished looking at lights. The smell never left for weeks and (laughs) weeks, but it was a really good memory. So, Mm. hey, we're going to hear from Kim Weir and Pam McCune, and they have some insightful ideas about fun activities you can do with your family as we round the corner here. And they talked with our former colleague, Dr. Julie Slattery.
3: I know you have a number of just fun ideas that can help you celebrate Christmas with your family. What are a few of them?
4: Well, let's just start with the idea of table talk because you mentioned that, boy, there are times when we go to family and the conversation gets out of hand. You know, you owe Uncle Bill money or Uncle Bill owes you (laughs) money or last year Billy Bob fell out drunk at the table, whatever it is. Um, And so we have an idea that really can kind of get ahead of that and be a little proactive and it's called table
5: talk. We've just put together questions, and anybody can do this in your family, is you just put down lots of different questions in a jar or in a stocking, and everybody draws one out at dinner time and answers that question. And we love it because it gets everyone at the table talking and giving their opinion and feel like they're a part of it.
3: So, you don't want to ask questions like, who around this table do you not like to be with? <laughs> Absolutely not. You want to steer
4: the <laughs> conversations <laughs> in a way that's celebrating. Well, and that's the fun of the questions. You might want to edit them ahead of time if you're not fully trusting your guest list. Um, Pam and I actually have made up 100 questions that we have through our ministry, and that's fun. But what's really great is just to put index cards on a table. And throughout the day, people can write down questions. And um, so it could be, you know, what's your favorite memory of Grandma and Grandpa? Or um, what's your biggest achievement this year? or what do you hope for most next year? Who knows? It's great when kids write the questions because those can turn out to be just full of fun and laughter. When's dessert coming out? Exactly. Or what is your favorite dessert? Chocolate is the answer. Always. When
5: you go to Kim's house and answer the question, you have to answer the one you drew out. It is very stressful. If you go to my house, you can keep drawing until you find a question that you like. I want you to be happy. And so, If you go to Kim's house, you just go through them ahead of time and (laughs) pick the one that you like.
3: It sounds like you've had experience in this. I I learned. She's the more sensitive of the two. (laughs) How about the $20 treasure hunt? What's that? You
4: know, I love that. That that stems from another one of my great failures. You know, as a mom, I just wanted to get things done in an expedient way. Who wants to drag kids to the store to buy gifts? Nobody. I mean, you'll tantrums and you know, things just go wrong and it's stressful. So I was just the personal gift buyer for the family. I would buy the gift that one child would give to another and I'd say, Okay, Chase, you're giving Hannah a Barbie. When she opens it, just say you're welcome. I've already wrapped it. The I've kid never, never even done saw that. it. <laughs> you haven't? I have. <laughs> You know, my husband one year said, look, do you think it would be possible if we went with you? I'm like, wow, that's a radical idea. But I like to make everything a game. If it's not fun, I don't want to do it. And that's just a flaw of my character. So what we did is we kind of made it an adventure. Um, Each of the kids, because they were pretty young, they got a $20 budget and whatever they wanted to spend out of their own allowances to go to the store and buy gifts. But we all went together at the same time this to one discount store. And the fun is that you had to sneak through the aisles to buy gifts for the other people in the family and not get caught so they couldn't see what you were getting them. This was such a blast because it became something we enjoyed As a family, it set apart family time instead of being something that we dreaded. And it just became a joy. And, of course, as the kids grew, they used their own budgets instead of ours. You know, the discount store became the mall. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, my kids are 18 to 23. We have a shopping night, the $20 treasure hunt night, only now it's just the treasure hunt night. We all go to a mall. Sometimes they take friends. And we end it with a big steak dinner at our favorite steakhouse
3: when it's over it's a tradition and a legacy that we built that values our family, and it's fun. All right. Now, how about that second thing? You talked about focusing on three things. The first one that we've been talking about is investing in your family. The second one has to do with reaching out, being salt and light to the community. Absolutely. Uh, going back again to when we
4: looked at the very first Christmas in Scripture, what you find is that it wasn't just... Uh, A family at the center, but also a message before the angel came and announced to Mary that she was going to have a baby, the angel went to Zachariah and Elizabeth to let them know they were going to have a child. And this child would be a messenger to carry the message, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That message is at the heart of the very first Christmas. And it really should be at the heart of our Christmas now. We've got a message to give. And the world needs to hear it. And more than any other time, they are receptive to the message of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And so we say capitalize on that. It's not just happy holidays.
5: It is we are so excited to celebrate Jesus this season. And you can do it in different ways. One is giving a smile to people as they're shopping because they're really grumpy and they're
4: hard to live with. (laughs) They are. And another thing that we can do when you're shopping, it's an idea called gift with purchase. And it's fun because we're all consumed with going out and getting gifts. But what we've decided to do is to stop and put the focus on others. So as a family, when my kids were little, we made little ornaments out of coffee filters, turned them into angels. And then as we would go to stores, anytime we would make a purchase, we would give a gift to the person that served us. Pizza place, the store, the dry cleaners, the UPS guy, whoever. And tied to that little ornament was a message about the very first Christmas and how much God loves them. And so we've kept that tradition up. You know, uh, Later years, we bought ornaments from the dollar store, um, but the idea is that we didn't just focus on ourselves. We looked at who's God already put in my life. I don't even have to go out of my way to find them. And how can I show them just a little bit of the
3: goodness of God? Mm, that's a great idea. And uh, because I'm not too crafty, would it be okay to do something like making cookies? Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs>
0: Well, I love the creativity that uh, Kim and Pam were sharing with Julie, and just the opportunity. People are open to the message of Jesus in a special way at this time of year. And so be bold, be brave, and do something. It can be small. It doesn't have to be in your face, but open the door for some conversations. We're going to hear now from a portion of a phone conversation that Focus President Jim Daly had with Bob Welch who wrote about some great life lessons that we can all learn from one of the great Christmas movies of all time, It's a Wonderful Life.
6: Bob, welcome to Focus on the Family.
7: Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on.
6: Hey, Bob, I like how you refer to this movie as an hour-and-a-half teaching moment as a father of two boys. I, I love that, and we watch It's a Wonderful Life two or three times during the Christmas season. It's our favorite family movie, but I've never really looked at it from that angle about how I can take and teach my boys those lessons. How did you come up with that idea?
7: I think over the years, as I watched the movie, like so many people every holiday season, I just started to realize how much truth, uh, biblical truth, actually is implanted in that movie. And I found as I wrote, I would use examples from the movie all the time. So I started keeping a list, and pretty soon I had 100 lessons, and then I narrowed it down to 52, one per week about the movie it's a wonderful life
6: you know most people would be shocked to realize that when the movie came out in 1946 it was kind of a flop Mm -hmm. everybody thought it was way too sentimental Uh, the critics got all over it Uh, Mm -hmm. but why why is it caught on why does that sentimentality mean so much to us now
7: somebody uh, uh, forgot to renew the copyright in the 70s and so it started to be shown everywhere on every station back in the 70s and so people started to watch it and i think that the reason that we gravitate to it is because our world gets less and less sentimental, as it were, mm. uh, every day. And so people are going faster, they're concentrating on things, they're concentrating on money, and um, they're losing sight of the, the Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven of life. You know, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. Relationships is, are what we were, were created for, and I think that the movie suggests exactly that, because... George Bailey sees other people like Sam Wainwright, who who has money, and he sees his brother, who has fame, and he kind of wants what they have. And yet, in the end, the lesson is that by sticking to the things that really matter—relationships—you can, in essence, be the richest man in town. And of course, that's the way it is for for him.
6: And it really, the movie talks about the importance of significance because the whole theme is: if Mister Bailey died, how it would impact the world around him.
7: Exactly. I think so many of us uh, either subtly or, or overtly uh, wallow in self-pity. We don't think that we really matter that much. And when we don't matter, uh, we aren't as willing to take risks and get involved in other people's lives because we don't think that we're needed. But the essence of the movie is if you take us out of the equation, look how the world would be different. And uh, so I think really the movie is about perspective, about understanding – Uh, the blessings around us and understanding that we can be a blessing to someone else as well.
6: Mm. There's also that the whole theme of materialism, and I love that, because George and his wife Mary, I love (laughs) Mary, Mary, Mm. uh, you know, they live in this old run-down home, and it just weighs on them. And you know what? There are a lot of people, Bob, at this time of the year that reflect on their circumstances and they think of what they don't have. The house is run down, the cars are run down, they -hmm. they can't buy the presents they want to buy for their kids. Uh, What can they take away from the movie?
7: I think they could take away uh, perspective. If you think about it, when George is on that snowy bridge on Christmas Eve, he's exactly that. He's mad at his family. Mm-hmm. He's mad at Uncle Billy. He's mad at the old Granville house. You know, he picks up the Newell Post, and it's never uh, fixed in place there. He's angry at the whole world. And when Clarence takes him through and shows him life without him, think about it. None of the circumstances change. But mm-hmm. when he comes back to that house, he's a changed man. Why? Because his perspective changed, and so I think the the greatest gift we can give ourselves this Christmas is perspective, uh, understanding, as George did, how fortunate we are, what blessings we have. When he came back to that house, he still owed $8,000. The reporters were still there. There was still a warrant for his arrest. Nothing had changed, but his attitude had, and he, and he was able to transcend the circumstances of his life through his attitude and understanding that he was necessary and that he was surrounded by people who loved him.
2: You know, John and Diane, that's a great summary of that movie. One of my favorite movies as well. I'm sure you guys have watched it numerous times. Yes. Um, you know, the idea that to see what life would have been like without you is one of the great takeaways from that film. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I One of the storylines that I love that I haven't seen too many people talk about is the impact that uh, Mary Bailey had on George. You know, she's sort of the the second tier character behind George and Clarence. But Mary supported George, believed in him. And then really, you know, at the very end of the film, who called all his friends and who got all those Mm. people to come to the Mm. house to express their love for him? Mm. And uh, I think that says a lot about the quiet, heroic attributes of a good wife, a good mother, and um, not to be overlooked. I think it's a very, very significant part of that film. And And, you know, I think it's not coincidental. Her name is Mary, and it's at Christmas, and there's another Mary that we remember in a very significant way at Christmas as well. Mm. How about you,
0: Diane? What did you like about the film, and what do you take away from it?
1: You know, I kind of echo on what Bob had said about the fact that every life has meaning and purpose, and sometimes we're caught up in our own circumstances and we can't see past it. And I think that watching that movie lets you understand that there's still hope Having a community around you is so important to uplift us, to give us that hope that, you know what, we can do this together. Mm. And I I love that Mary, she truly was my hero in that movie, Mm. because you're like, this is what this is all about. We stand next to each other as the body of Christ.
2: And and you know what's so amazing is that that movie is over 75 years old, Mm. and yet it holds up. I think that's the sign of good art, when it still is relevant to life today, when life back then was very different, but in many ways... You know, we're all struggling with the very same things.
0: Yeah, that's one of those endearing classics. And certainly there are great films and uh, movies. There's great music associated with this season. And what we really want to do is dial into the person behind the season. And we're going to continue to do that with Pam McEwen and Kim Weir as they talked about remembering Jesus at this time of year.
5: I loved looking at the prophecies of Jesus, but specifically in December, we go for... 25 days of December, knowing that I'm probably going to miss 12 of them. So we'll hit 13. <laughs> <I am> low. <laughs> and I like to put boxes out because I'm a gift giver, and I love like to put treats inside the boxes for each of my kids. When they were little, it might have been a sticker or a pencil. If they are going to school, I'd give them some chocolate to be hyper with the teacher. <laughs> At night, I don't know, some sleepy time tea. <laughs> but along with getting their gift each day, and I prophesized that they were going to get a gift and explained what prophecy was, we would also pull out one of the prophecies of the Old Testament and read it. And it was so fun because they would take turns reading them and guessing how Jesus fulfilled it in the New Testament. And if they didn't know, we'd look it up and we'd read it.
3: By the end of 18 years, they knew. So the prophecies are wrapped inside the boxes. Is that right? Yeah, I put them on
5: cards. Uh I mean, I just took them out of the Thompson chain reference Bible. Um, Or if you wanted, you could stay up all night and read the Old Testament and highlight all the prophecies. And tomorrow (laughs) night, read the New Testament and figure out how they go together. But really, some people have already done that. And we like those shortcuts. But there's over 300. But if you just take even less than 25 and start seeing, this isn't just a coincidence. This is amazing where he was born, where it said the coming Messiah would be born, what he would do. Well, let me just paint a picture
4: for you of Pam's um, over enthusiasm for this, she has 25 different size boxes from jewelry size boxes to, you know, kind of the boxes that, you know, you could fit a watermelon in. And so they're stacked in the house and she decorates them. And each one has that treat and that prophecy. So can you imagine the anticipation of when are you going to get to open number 13? You know, mm-hmm. and the treat inside and the joy of finding out a little bit about Jesus. You know, for us underachievers, I have 25 envelopes they have no treats in them and they're just under the tree with my attribute ornaments but that's the great thing about christmas play into what you love to do Mm -hmm. and then find out how to make the ideas around you fit your family
3: you know there's a story in scripture that i'd love for you to close with and most people don't think about this as a christmas story although it's familiar and that's the story of mary and martha how is that instructive and just a good word for us as we approach Christmas we
4: love these two sisters every time you see them in scripture these two sisters are together they loved one another but more than that they loved Jesus and scripture says that Jesus loved them and I guess my favorite story is one where Jesus was traveling through town and they knew he was coming, and so they prepared to host him a dinner party. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It was a holiday. It was a holiday, too. Yeah, kind of a a festival time coming through. And can you just imagine their excitement? And they open the door, and it's Jesus. I can just see Martha ushering him in to the best seat in the house. Still so much to do, though. She quickly moves on with getting the fish and the bread and the wine glasses, making sure her servants were getting everything ready. But where was Mary? Mary had taken the seat right next to the teacher, right at his feet, the most honored place. She didn't want to miss anything he had to say. I'm sure that Martha, when she finally realized where was Mary, was quite upset. In fact, She was so upset that she runs out to Jesus and she tells him what to do. She says, tell her to get up and help me. Don't you care that I'm doing all this by myself? You know, I've said that to Jesus before. Don't you care? Look at my life. Look what I'm going
3: through. Look at my holiday season that's falling apart. It seems like everyone else uh, has time to worship Jesus except for mom who's busy being the Martha. Right.
5: Uh-huh. So Thank we might Martha. be telling Jesus, but mostly we're usually telling our husbands, saying,
4: don't you care that I'm doing all this work and aren't you going to help? Mm-hmm. But the great thing is that Jesus does care. And he set the record straight. And he said, Martha, you are busy with so many things, but there's really only one thing that matters, only one thing that's needed. Mary chose the better part, he said. And what she chose was to be with him. And so as busy as Christmas can be, as crazy as our lists can be, There is nothing that's really needed except being at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him for what he's done, sacrificed his life
3: so that we could have a relationship with God. And that's a great word for us to close with, just the reminder that the presents will be gone, the paper will be gone, the meals will be eaten, but the better thing that will not be taken
1: from us is the time we spend worshiping our Savior during this season. You know, I really like that reminder because we didn't grow up with a lot of money. It always came back to the fact that this season is about Jesus, and it's about what he has done by coming to be our Savior. He came to earth as a child, but he also was there to die on the cross for Mm us. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of the presence that a lot of other people had, so it had to come back down to what is the real reason that we're sitting here today as a family. And I am thankful for that. You look back on it, and there wasn't a pile of stuff, but there was each other, and the fact that we're here because of Christ. I I appreciate that.
0: Mm, That's neat. And, Paul, as we uh, kind of wrap up here, what are some things that you take away ultimately about the Christmas season?
2: You know, John, I, I don't want to get morose, but I also think Christmas is a great time of sentimentality. And at Christmas, I often think about the fact that we only have so many Christmases. And especially when you have kids, the time is fleeting. The time is short. There's only going to be so many years when there's that magical feel in your house of little kids. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you get grandkids later on and you get to experience it all over again. But even here I am, 46 years old, I'm probably halfway through the number of Christmases I'm going to experience. And it's such a rich time, a wonderful time, and um, I think I just want to savor them, to not run through them, uh, how busy it is, how hectic it can be, but to really just appreciate it and to uh, appreciate the fact that, I mean, God came in the form of a baby, which is an amazing thing. I mean, the fact that he could have appeared any which way he could have wanted, Mm -hmm. and he chose to come in the form of a helpless baby, in a manger, in a cold, crude environment. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. And that's a pretty amazing thing. It is. And Jesus, of course, walked this dusty earth that he made and uh, ultimately was
0: rejected by the people he came to proclaim the good news to. He died and rose again and offers that life that you both are speaking of uh, to us. We want to encourage you, if you don't know what that eternal life that Jesus came to offer is all about, uh, we have some resources at the website, in particular, Coming Home, which is a little booklet explaining the Christian life. Uh, Go ahead and get that or give us a call in the next day or two. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. In addition to that little booklet, Coming Home, we have a lot of other great resources for you. Just stop by focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories. And uh, if you'd like to call, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. We have so enjoyed spending this Christmas season with you, and please know that in the future, Focus on the Family will have more podcasts. As the seasons change, we're here for you, no matter what you might be facing. So again, uh, jot that number down, 800-A-FAMILY, or stop by the website. And on behalf of Paul and Diane and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, thanks for listening, and Merry Christmas.
1: Hey, this is Diane Angolia, and be sure to fill out our online survey at focusonthefamily.com/podcastsurvey. We'd love to hear your thoughts about how this show has helped you to get into the holiday spirit. Only takes a few minutes to fill out, and again, that website is focusonthefamily.com/podcastsurvey.